Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. God, we are so excited about what you're doing, and I just thank you, God, for relationship, and um, I just think that women are so fun, and I just thank you that I get to be one, and that we can just connect in ways, Father, that are just unique, Um, and I thank you, God, for the way you've created us, the beauty that you've placed within us, just the uniqueness of our feminine qualities, and our relational ways, and our quirks, and our emotions, and I just am enamored with how perfectly you have designed us. Thank you, Lord, for the confidence you've given us and the ability to be confident and bold with such femininity. And I thank you, Lord, that that's a unique thing that you have done for us. And so, Lord, we just stand in awe of you and how you've created us. And we ask that you would just bring wisdom and discernment into us. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this place to to encourage us even through discipline. To love us, Father, even by sometimes challenging us. And I recognize already your presence is moving in this room. And that you, Father, have more of a desire to speak than we often have a desire to hear. And so, God, I ask right now in Jesus' name that all of us would intentionally incline our ears towards your lips. Just as you incline your ear to our lips. Father, the minute we speak your name, and it's in the name of Jesus that I pray, amen. Well, I love the summer season. Um, In our house, it's a time when our college kids come home, and school kids, of course, are home from school, and we tend to spend a lot of time at the pool. We have an HOA, and so we have a public pool there, a community pool, or just doing family activities. And what I've realized is every year, I look very much forward to the summer every year, but what I find is at the end of summer, I very much am looking forward to the fall. And so when you have a lot of children and um, and you have a lot of family activities and a lot of things going on, I think you can connect with the fact that we look forward to, you know, April, May, June every year because we're ready for a break from the routine and and all of that stuff. But at the end of summer, we're ready to go back to that routine, right? We're ready to get back into the niche of things. Because sometimes what I've noticed in our summer season is we get overtaken by activities and we get overtaken and sometimes we lose the consistency of our disciplines. And so the summer season is often, I say the mark of summer is is the word vacation where we kind of take time off from the disciplines and the consistencies and the routines of life and we do a lot of fun things. If I were to compare the summer season in life, I would say it's the prime of life, the crazy time of your 30s and your 40s. When your kids are in the throes of activities, sports, school activities, etc., all these things that potentially pull us away from the importance of pressing in to our intimacy with the Lord. From pressing into what I call the things that are important and being sucked into things that become very urgent. There's, a, there's a, a little packet that I have that's called The Tyranny of the Urgent, and it says this. We live in a constant tension between the urgent and the important. The problem is that the important task seldom must be done today or even this week. Extra hours of prayer and Bible study, 
visiting that non-Christian friend, careful study of an important book, these projects can all wait. But the urgent tasks call for instant action and endless demands pressure every hour in our day. A man's home is no longer his castle. It is no longer a place away from urgent tasks because the telephone breaches, breaches walls and imperious demands. The momentary appeal of these tasks seems irresistible and important, and they steal our energy. But in the light of time's perspective, their deceptive prominence fades. With a sense of loss, we recall the important tasks continuously being pushed aside. And we realize that we have become slaves to the tyranny of the urgent. And isn't it true that we, as women, and, and, and I'm not saying that men don't experience this, but this is a ladies' conference, so I'm going to connect with you as ladies. Isn't it true that we often get sucked into urgencies and we're continuously putting off things that we know that are important, yet can put, be put off for a week? And we get pulled into the urgencies of life. I once said, when my kids were little, I get a lot of free time during the day. I just never know when they're going to come and how long they're going to last. You know, I mean, so it might be 10 minutes here or 10 minutes there. And so you can't really plan out your day. And what would happen is I would often, even as I work with young moms, when we're looking for that 30 to 40 hour, hour, 40 minute pocket of time for us to be able to spend time with the Lord, what I had to do was learn to adjust in gaining that balance that we were talking about earlier. I had to learn to adjust to my season and say, if all I get in this moment is 10 minutes, I'm going to seek him first. And learning that God would bless and would honor that my desire was when I would get that 10 minutes alone, even though I really needed to take a shower or brush my teeth because I was up since 5 a.m. with a newborn baby and four kids that needed to be fed the minute I got the baby back to sleep, right? But I would learn, had to learn to understand that there are things in life that keep us busy with activity but no productivity comes forth out of it. So I want us to think about this concept of activity versus productivity, the outcomes. There's a difference between activity and movement. Remember I talked about that example of the treadmill. I can be active and moving on this treadmill but never really getting anywhere. And our days sometimes feel that way if we allow them to. And part of what God has called us to do, he's given us wisdom to be able to look at all of the things on our plate and be able to say, God, show me the areas in my life that you have called me to produce. And the rest of these activities and the rest of these busyness things are going to be pushed off my plate. You know, the Bible says that the yoke of the Lord is easy and his burden is light. The yoke of the Lord is easy and his burden is light. That word easy in the Greek means it's kindly. It means it's fitting. Okay, so the yoke of the Lord doesn't necessarily always feel good, but it fits right. It means it's fitting. So when I begin to feel myself becoming overwhelmed and I'm not walking in the fullness of the lightness and the ease of the Lord, I have to say, okay, what is it? That's on my plate that is not of God. Because if God says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and there are things in my life that are heavy and burdensome and not light, I can only assume that those are things that are not from God. And now I have a responsibility to go back and look at my plate and say, what are the things on my plate that I have invited 
because I'm a woman and that's what I do and I just want to help everybody and fix everybody's problems and I can just handle more. I'll just get up earlier. I'll just skip my nap. I'll just stay up later. I'll just skip my meal. I'll stop exercising. We talked a lot about those healthy boundaries in our own relationship with the Lord and how much we don't stick to those healthy boundaries for the sake of putting the interests of others before our own and we become very angry and bitter when we do that and not recognizing that God has called me to be a productive person and it's better that I do two or three things and do them well and be productive than to be spread across the board and do nothing well. And so summer season is often that time where we recognize I have become overwrought with the busyness of activity. And on paper, I like to liken it to a website. Anybody can look good on a website. Anybody can look good on a website. And so about two years ago, I said, how do we reflect outcome and productivity on our website? Instead of saying, here's all the things we do, how do we shift it to say, here are the things that have been done? Here are the outcomes. Here's the fruit of what we're doing. Anybody can make a website telling you all the things we're doing. All that does is tell me activity. I want to know what you've done. I want to know what God is doing. And I want to know that in my ministry. Because we can show up and talk about all this activity we're doing all day long. But if I'm not seeing fruit, I'm not going to do it. Because I know that God is in it. Because if God is in it, fruit will always come from it. And so that's what we have to, with summer season, that's what we have to be cautious of. I want to take a look at a passage in Song of Songs chapter 2. And this is a great, if you have your Bibles, I am going to read the Bible today. I, I realize that I obviously have the gift of wisdom of the word, and so I can pretty much read, read the Bible with my eyes shut, and it's really just a unique gift. Um, and so I quote a lot of scriptures, but now we're actually going to open our Bible. If you have it, if not, I will read it to you. So I'm going to read, starting in verse 8. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall, and he is peering through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke, meaning this is God. He spoke and he said unto me, rise up. Remember that word? Rise up, my love. My fair one, and come away with me, for lo, your winter is past. You've been through the winter, and also the rain is over and gone, and flowers are appearing on it, basically saying, you've been through the spring, and here you are in the summer. Coming into the fullness, you've made it through your winter, you've made it through your spring, now you're in your summer. The flowers are appearing, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle doves heard in the land. The fig is pouring forth her green figs and the vines with tender grapes. They give off a good smell. Rise up with me and come, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away with me. Oh, my dove in the cleft of the rock, in the secret places of the cleft, of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And then he says this, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. What is God saying here? See, God is talking. He's giving us all these examples of all these things in our lives. The first thing he talks about is the mountains and hills in our lives, the obstacles in our lives that block our fellowship with God. They hinder the overflow of his love and his desiring that he is pour out, wanting to pour out upon us. See, he says, listen, I'm coming upon, leaping upon the mountains, skipping over the hills. Listen, there is no mountain, there is no obstacle in your life, love, that life that is too big for the love of God, that he will not bound over 
invade in order to come to you and rescue you. But then he goes on and he says, oh, I stand outside the lattice in your wall that you've put up. And this is a whole other story because there are mountains and obstacles that often come into our lives that God will leap over to meet you. But he will not intrude the walls that you have put up. He will stand outside of them, peering through the lattice and say, come out. Hey, remember me? Your voice is so sweet. Your face is so lovely. And I miss my time with you. You've been through the winter. You came through the spring. And now here you are in your summer. But I think you've forgotten something. It's me. And you have all these walls that you've built up. Our walls are the things that we put up that keep him out. Listen, let me be clear and say this. There is nothing that separates us from the love of God. But there are obstacles that will hinder us from walking in the fullness of it. And often, those are not mountains. They are not obstacles of the world. They are our own obstacles. They are our walls of anger. They are our walls of bitterness. They are our walls of rejection. They are our walls of busyness. They are our walls of, I don't have time, our walls of activity. And we come up with all these excuses. And we say that we become a victim of our schedule. And I can no longer control it. My schedule is out of control. Really? Whose fault is that? Right. I'm exhausted and I'm tired. Really? Whose fault is that? The amount of people in my life and the relationships in my life are overwhelming. Really? Whose fault is that? See, it's time that we stop playing the victim in life and recognize that God has given us the power to choose. That's what he tells us in Deuteronomy. Choose for yourself this day. Death or life, blessing or curses, and it will go well with you. Choose life, therefore, and it will go well with you in generations to come. See, that's the power to choose. Asking myself, in my schedule, is this particular activity an asset or a liability to what God has called me to in this day? I love to speak to teenagers and remind them that we've all been imparted with a superpower, and it's the power of choice. Every choice you make today navigates your future. Every choice you make today is either an asset or a liability to your future. Every relationship you choose to engage in is either an asset or a liability to your future. Everything you put on your calendar is either an asset or a liability to who God has called you to be in every particular day. And he has given us the wisdom and the right. See, God just doesn't give us the power, but he gives us the authority to practice the power. That's why it says in, in the Greek, there's the dunamis word, and then there's the exousia word. One is the power, and the other one is the authority to practice the power. And God has given us so that we do not become victims of our schedule and our activity. I want to think about for a moment this going down here where it says, catch for you the little foxes, the intentional, when he picks something, an animal, whatever. Now I want to just read to you these characteristics of a fox. Foxes are small to medium-sized. They are sly, manipulative, and often referred to as tricksters. They tend to use a pouncing technique where they crouch down to camouflage themselves in the terrain, and then using their hind legs, they leap up, 
grab their prey with their sharp teeth by the neck, and they shake it to death. Now I'm talking to somebody in this room. Where something came to you and it appeared to be a good thing, camouflaged itself in the terrain, and you got so wrapped up, next thing you knew, that thing has grabbed you by the neck, and the life and the energy and you're being shaken out of you by that thing. And the enemy has told you that you have no choice in the matter, that you're stuck or you're trapped, and that is a lie. Because God says, catch, seize, take authority over the foxes that are stealing the fruit of your vineyard. That's what this passage is talking about. Catch the little foxes, the foxes that are spoiling the vines that have tender grapes. God has in mind for you and I a, a vineyard, a table where we can sit in the presence of our enemy and feast with God. But we need to recognize that the enemy has a plan. He is conspiring against you. Remember Joseph, who had a dream, spoke it foolishly to his brothers? That's a whole other message for a whole other day. And his brothers immediately said, we'll see what becomes of his dream. That's the voice of the enemy. God has a dream, he has a plan, he has a purpose for every single purpose of person in here. And I guarantee you, it includes productivity, multiplication, energy, a sense of satisfaction when you go to bed. It does not include faint-heartedness, weariness, exhaustion, discouragement, a sense of feeling like I missed it. It's too late. Those words, those messages don't come from my God. But the minute we begin to come into, remember we talked about our spring? We come into our spring, we get an unction for a new thing, a new place, the excitement stirring up inside of us, and the enemy is in the fields, crouching down, waiting for the right moment to pounce on you and distract you. Shake your time from you. Shake your energy from you. Shake your dream from you. Because once we get saved, the enemy can do nothing to stop our eternal salvation. But he can certainly make us ineffective while we're here. That's the second best, and that's what he goes after. He, if he can't steal you, he'll steal your dream. There's a conspiracy against you to steal your dream. So I want to think about, so we have here the danger of distractions. And we need to become privy to the danger of distractions. Those little foxes that are shaking the time away from us, that are shaking our energy out of us, that are shaking our dream out of us, that are shaking, fill in the blank, holding you by the neck, and you're just being like, what an awful way to die. But that's how the enemy does it. He's not nice enough to do it in one fell swoop. He wants to suffocate you and strangle you and shake you into death. The danger of excuses in Luke chapter 4 is the, is the story of when they've been invited to come into, there, there's a wedding feast and everybody's 
been sent out an invitation and people responded to the invitation and then when it was time, when it was time for them to come to and respond to the invitation, do you remember the story? Let me read it for you. I'm in Luke chapter 14. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at a supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. It's time to come now. See, we've responded to the call of salvation. Now it's time for us to enter into the kingdom game. It's time for us to enter into our plan, enter into our dream, enter into our purpose, enter into your spring. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first one said, I, I just bought a piece of ground and, and I must go see it. Uh, I I'm asking you to have me excuse. God, I right now I'm too busy. Listen, I just purchased three acres of land. I don't have time to pursue that. Oh, but you don't understand, God. I just started a new business. Like, see, these aren't things that are bad. We're too smart to give in to the things that are bad. We know drugs are going to steal. We know that. You know, we know the stuff like that. So it's the, it's the half-truths where we get the things that appear to be right, the things that appear to the ordinary mundane things that we assume are good. Listen, the enemy of best is good. The enemy of what is best is good. When somebody comes to me and says, do you think it's okay if I, I immediately stop them and say, first of all, you're asking the wrong question. I want you to ask this. Do you think it's best or beneficial to my walk with the Lord, if I... Now you answer the question. Oh, never mind. I had my answer. I mean, now you immediately will answer that question. Going on, and it says, And another said, I have bought live oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. So another said, I've just married, and therefore I can... Now notice, even a relationship with a spouse can suck our purpose. That's why we talked about those healthy boundaries. Our work, our business, our accomplishments, our possessions, our relationships. This parable is the passion of my life. Because my life is all about not necessarily bringing the lost into salvation, but bringing the saved into the feast. Because there are so many people who are out there who are saved, but they're missing the wedding banquet. They're not feasting on the goodness of God. See, the people in the wilderness, the Israelites in the wilderness, they were totally content in that place. God's presence was always with them. His love never left them. He provided for them in the wilderness. He has, was a pillar of fire. He was a cloud that shadowed them and kept them cool during the day. But they were still missing out on the milk and the honey. And I'm afraid that the majority of Christianity is living in the wilderness. Because we've settled for the manna when God says, baby, I got milk and honey for you. <laughs> baby, I didn't just send you an invitation for you to RSVP and say, I accept. I receive your son, Jesus Christ. But then not show up to the wedding banquet and feast and have a party with God. And we have all these excuses that will keep us. And until we understand that there are things in our life that can explain our challenges. But when we let those explanations become excuses, that's when we've now allowed ourselves to become the victim. It's okay and it's healthy to identify what reasons why you struggle with what you struggle with. To explain why I'm challenged in walking in the fullness of my confidence. That's okay. But what's not okay is to allow it to become your excuse. And we have 
to be willing to say, I no longer am going to excuse myself. I don't want to say, if you would have me excused from this because of X, Y, Z. Excuses and distractions are some of the dangers of the summer season. And with those come a danger of apathy, of becoming very... It's easy for us to become apathetic with the Lord because we know he's always going to be there. So we can set him aside, and the minute we have time to get back to it, we'll get back to it. And so it's very easy for us to become apathetic in our relationship with the Lord. I love 2 Timothy 1.6 that says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. Let me read that again. There's something already in you, and it's a gift from God. And God is saying, I am giving you the responsibility to stir that gift up. To stir up means to kindle up, to inflame your mind, to strengthen or to bring zeal. There must be an intentional stirring up of all that God has put into us. The gift of His love, His salvation. His presence is in us. What are we doing on a daily basis to stir that up? To stir it up. To be intentional, to agitate, move the presence of the Lord within me. To stir up His love for me. To stir up His presence within me. To stir up His peace within me. It is possible, it is possible for me to live in the same house with a man and never stir up our relationship. It is possible for me to live in a house with another person, but not have an intentional relationship. It is possible for he and I to coexist in peace, but have no intentional times of stirring up our relationship. So I could settle for marriage by covenant and be very happy and content there. Or I could be intentional to stir up relationship. Most of us do it with our girlfriends. We go out to coffee. We're going to have a girls' night, right? Because we want to intentionally stir up our relationship. What are we doing to intentionally stir up our relationship with God? John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And without me, you can do nothing. It says right here in this verse that you cannot bear fruit unless you abide in the vine. To abide means, and consider the phrase, my sweet abode. It's where I reside. It's where I tarry. It's where I remain. It's where I settle myself. We talked about that pocket of peace. I'm settling in the pocket of God's heart. I'm going to settle in that place and not depart. It means to remain. The power of just abiding and resting, being a receptacle of the Lord, staying plugged in, staying plugged in. The danger of pride. I want to read to you out of, it's interesting that Moses gives this warning. You know, the, the entire book of Deuteronomy is, is Moses' final speech. 
He's like, I'm going away, and this is my farewell speech to you. And here are the things I want to say I'm proud of you about. And I also want to tell you what you're going to face, and I want to give you some, some tips on what's going to happen when you get to the promised land and what your inclination is going to be. And this is what he says in chapter 8. He says, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. What he's saying is, listen, we've been through a winter together. You're going to go through a new beginning. And then when you get to where you, you, you're going, you're going to relax and it's going to be a little vacation where you just, everything's just good to go. And we're just filled with activities and goodness and all this stuff. And he's saying, beware. Don't forget. Don't fall away. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews 2.1, Therefore we must give more earnestly, more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest you drift away. We're too wise to just fall away. Have you guys ever been on a raft where you're laying near the dock and you're laying and you can feel the drifting and you're laying there and it's been 20, 30 minutes and next thing you open your eyes and you look up and you're like eons away from the dock. And you're like, oh God get all the way back there, right? That's what it means to drift away. Because we're too wise. I'm like, we're all mature Christians in here. We're too wise to fall away. But what he's warning is be careful that you don't drift away. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes with I command you. Lest when you have eaten and are full, you've come, you've arrived. You're in your summer. And you have built beautiful houses and you dwell in them. And you have your herds and your flocks and you multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied. Everything's honky-dory because it's vacation. And you're in the busyness of your activities. All that you have is multiplied. And in verse 14 it says, when your heart is lifted up. He's talking about pride there. He's saying, be careful that you don't fall into a place of pride. See, when we're in our winter, oh, we're broken and we're just... And, and we're just really, I mean, God's like shaving pride off of us, right? And then when we're in our spring, we're clinging to God. Because I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. I don't know what it's going to look like. And then I arrive and I'm like, oh yeah, check it up. <laughs> look at, look at, oh yeah, God's done it. <laughs> yep, yep, me and God. And he's saying here, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out to the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led you through that wilderness, that terrible wilderness, in which you, there were fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that he might humble you, and that he might test you. Listen to this, to do good in the end. In verse 17 it says, Then you say in your own heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me all this wealth. Look how easy it is for us to drift away from our clinging to the Lord. We can't afford to go a day being too busy for God. Because the enemy is crouching. He is camouflaging himself. And he is ready to pounce. He is ready to pounce. The Bible says in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. That word pride in the Greek means an empty pretender. An empty pretender. Isn't that a classic characteristic of pride? Pride will keep you pretending. It will keep you stuck with your mask on. It will keep you from being transparent. It will keep you stuck in fear. It will keep you stuck in this place of having to look like you've got it all figured out. When you don't. That's why it's called the empty pretender. What, one of the hardest things, if any of you got my first book, I tell a story in there of when I ha was having children and I struggled so badly with depression, postpartum depression. And I thought in my head, I am the only woman in the world that cannot have children with grace. Like, I am the only woman, like, because, forgive me for my naivety, but I would look at magazines of a woman holding her sleeping newborn baby, and her hair was pretty, and she was wearing white. <laughs> and the nursery was clean, and the baby was sleeping, and not nursing, and not crying. And I'm going to tell you right now, that was not my life with children. Especially not my first one, who was colicky. And I was a hot mess. And pride kept me from seeking help. Because I was convinced that everybody else could do it. And if I couldn't do it, I was going to at least pretend like it. And what I realized in a moment of vulnerability, one day at McDonald's when I was there with a bunch of other women, I finally just decided, do you guys ever feel like you're going to lose your mind? Like you just want to kill your mother-in-law and your children are out of control and everything in your house only looks clean because your closets are a cluttered mess. And guess what? One by one, the women I was sitting with began to cry. And in that moment, we started what was called the Moms Group. And then when I moved here, Michelle and I started it here and now we still have one at, at the grounds. And in that moment, when I was willing to drop my pride, take off the mask and say, listen, I just want you to see me. You know, and that's part of why I'm so vulnerable, why I'm so transparent, because I want people to feel safe, to be honest. Because if, if we don't feel, listen, Jesus met the woman at the well, and he went for her most vulnerable spot because he wanted to connect with her. And if we're not willing to be open and honest and vulnerable, we will miss out on connection. But pride will keep us from that. Activities will keep us. We'll become so busy with activities that we don't have time to connect with God. We don't have time to connect with people. We don't have time to have genuine relationships because we're so busy doing what God has called us to do. Being Martha's instead of being Mary. By the way, some people are like, well, she's just a Martha. Like, it's okay. Like, some people are just Marys and some people are... It's never okay to be a Martha. Like, read the story. You know? And the Bible says, Mary said... He says of Mary, she has chosen what was necessary. She has chosen what is necessary. He doesn't give any positive comments about Martha. So sometimes we're like, oh, she's just a Martha. And it's like, that's not good. Like, we, we, take, we take what we want out of stories... And we, we use the fact, and then I'm not saying that there are people who aren't gifted in servitude and that we get joy out of doing that. But there still has to be that balance. 
And it still has to be something that's compelled from God and not from religion and not from servitude and not because it's what I think I'm supposed to do because I'm a Christian and that's what Christians do. I was raised up in a denomination, not raised up, but I, I went to a denomination for a long time where there was, there was an identity that was created for women and it was not preaching from a pulpit. It was in making the potlucks and going to the baby showers and doing these craft and chats and I was like, I just want to pull my face off and right now and because that is so not me, I can't, I, I don't do small talk well, like I love to have really deep intentional conversations with people and I'm going to go for it every time. But if we're going to stand here and just chit chat, I'm super bad about it, I've learned how to do it because I know some people need it, but I don't like it. So if you see me doing this, it's because I need to go somewhere deeper. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, I'm just saying. But there was this box or this identity that, that was created in that particular denomination that I tried to fit in for 17 years. You know, being the homeschool mom, and, oh, I'm going to teach my kids how to sew. Oh, I wish well, I got to go buy a sewing machine. Oh, I'm supposed to... They had a quilting class. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to a quilting class. And I still have that quilt. It's halfway done. I've for 17 years. Someday I'm going to hire somebody to finish it for me. And I'm going to tell everybody I made it. Shh. And so there's this empty pretender. And let me emphasize the word empty. so empty in that place. Who we think we're no 
what I mean? And that's what will keep us busy and active. And all these things that aren't producing because I'm planted in the wrong soil. Don't force me to be a peach tree when I've been created to be a rose bush. You gotta find out who you are and the DNA that God has put in you. Plant yourself in that soil and don't get mixed up in all the other soils trying to be somebody you're not called to be. That's why God says, run the race that's set out for you. Raise up a child in the way they should go. Because there's a plan that God has in mind for you. And when you get on that path, it will be easier for you to produce fruit than it is for you to not produce fruit. Because it will become easy, organic, because the yoke of the Lord is easy. And his burden is light. And if you don't know what your call is, if you don't know what brings you passion, if you don't know what lights your fire, then you get into the pocket of God's presence and don't leave that place until you find it. Don't let your neighbor tell you what it is. Don't let your husband tell you tell you what it is. Don't let your mother tell you what it is. Don't let your mother-in-law tell you what it is. Don't let your kids try and navigate you into it. You settle into the pocket of God's presence and don't leave until you find it. If God hasn't given you a clear direction, then wait. And when he's ready and he says, rise up and go, then you go. But you wait until you know that you know who you are. Don't busy yourself doing what you think you're supposed to be doing in the process. Be okay with just waiting. Know who you are. So in our summer season, we've talked a lot about the dangers. What is the good thing about our summer season? God affords us seasons of reprieve, reprieve, a time off to chill and bask in the sun, S-O-N. <laughs> he is a God of the summer, but given what we've just learned now, I think it's important for us to note that our spiritual disciplines are often the hardest during the mundane, ordinary activities of life. See, when we're in the mountaintops, we praise God. We're in the valleys, we cling to God. But when we're just walking through the ordinary of purchasing our houses, of getting married, entering into relationships, getting a job, those are the times that it's hardest to cling to God. And it's easy for us to forget and walk away and drift away from the intensity of the intimacy with our God. I believe that there are times we have boosts of what God is doing. And then there are times when we feel like there's dryness in our life. But most often, we just live in the ordinary living. And that's the hardest time for us to walk in the consistency and the discipline of faithfulness. Listen, many people have faith, but few are faithful. It's one thing to have good intentions. It's another thing to be intentional. And when you're caught up in the ease of summer that brings activity and busyness and fun and all of these things, it is so important that you recognize what it looks like to still be faithful every step of the way. 
every step of the way. God, we thank you for this message. God, I thank you that your word says, I will bless you at all times, and your praise will continually, forever, at all times, be upon my lips. Whether I'm on the mountaintops, whether I'm in the valleys, or whether I'm just walking through the ordinary activities of life, I will cling to you. I thank you, God, that you leap over mountains and you leap over, over, over walls. But God, more often than not, there are times when you just invite. You beckon me to come out. You call me into your pocket. You call me. You pursue me. You woo me. You draw me because you're a God who loves like that. So I pray, Lord, that even today, God, the walls of activity, the walls of anger, the walls of busyness that we have put up, God, that we would see your eye still peering at us, that though we've taken our eye off of you, you have not taken your eye off of us. And we would hear your voice saying, come away with me, my love. Rise up, because your face is so lovely, and your voice is so sweet. And even in the ordinary, I desire to be intimate with you. So, Father, we thank you, and we ask that you would continue on to challenge us, encourage us, empower us, and equip us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. 